now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Say this out loud with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I am a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word, I believe His word, and I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to Him I am in absolute surrender, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I just want to share with us a very simple message on miracles. And just encourage our hearts, each one of us, to believe God for miracles in us and through us. Miracles are heaven's signposts. They are signs, and the Bible calls miracles as signs and wonders. They are signs that make people wonder about God. Miracles point people towards God. And miracles really affect the hearts of people. Moving them to pursue God. They are signposts that point towards God. And this morning I just want to simply encourage our hearts by uh, showing us the importance of miracles. And encourage us to believe God. To work miracles through us. God works miracles and He works it through you. Amen? Miracles are important. They are signposts that point to God. In many places in the Gospels, we read over and over again. People's response, people's reaction to miracles. When they saw something supernatural happen. When they saw God interject in their lives. You'll see many times the response is that people glorified God. They said, God, this is great. They glorified God. For instance, if you go with me to Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at a few instances. Matthew chapter 9. Here was a man who had been paralyzed for a long time. Lying on a bed. Jesus was in somebody's house. He was just talking to a crowd of people gathered in that home. And, and his four friends bring this paralyzed man. They let him down to the roof. And Jesus heals this man. He, so much that he gets off of his bed and he walks in front of all the people. And what is the reaction? What is the response? Matthew chapter 9, verse 8. It says, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. When people saw it, what did they do? They glorified God. They, their attention was turned towards God saying, wow, God, this is amazing. What's happening? They glorified God who had given such power to men. Matthew chapter 15. Just another example here. Verses 30 and 31. It says, Then great multitudes came to him, came to Jesus, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So that the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. So what do miracles do? They cause people 
to turn their attention on God and glorify God and say, Wow, God, you're amazing. Miracles are signposts. They point people to God. They cause people to wonder about God. There several other places in the New Testament that you will find that people's response to miracles. Now, I realize that we are living in a very different time than when the Bible was written. We are living in a postmodern world. We have a huge advancements in science and technology. And, you know, if anything goes wrong, we know which pill to take. I take pills. I mean, medications. You know, I take it. It's not a sin. I'm still alive. <laughs> and we know what medicines to take. We know we can go to the doctors. Uh, we can get help. And all of that is good. But yet, we must understand that our Christian faith and our God is a miracle-working God. And this morning, I want to emphasize the place that miracles are to have in our walk with God, in our experience with God, in our ministry, in what we do for God. I want to emphasize that as we will get further in this message here. But the point is that right now, because we are living in such a sophisticated world, we tend to downplay the importance of miracles. Because after all, man can take care of a lot of our needs, medical needs and other needs. If you need money, so easy. Go to the bank, get a loan. You don't have to go and catch a fish and hope that it has a coin in the mouth. You don't have to do that. And so we have many ways to address issues and problems in our lives. But yet, we must understand That all our abilities have a limit. And there is a realm. There are situations in life. There are circumstances in life. There are physical conditions that medical science cannot help. And that's where when God interjects. When God demonstrates His power. When God comes in and does something beyond our abilities. It is a sign. It is a miracle that will turn the hearts of people. And point them towards Almighty God. Amen. Sometimes because of all the learning that we have, we have excluded miracles from our Christian experience. There is this whole area of apologetics, Christian apologetics. And we believe in it. I mean, I believe in it. I try to use some of it. We have a full course on apologetics in our Bible college. We want our students to learn it and know how to reason our faith and talk about it in a very... Uh, in a rational way, and so on. And and all of that is good. But I want to point something out to you, which might be a little interesting. This whole ministry of apologetics stems from one particular verse of Scripture, primarily from this particular verse of Scripture, which is found in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. So if you'll go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, this whole ministry of apologetics starts from this particular verse. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter writes, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, meaning hold God with reverence and respect in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense. To give a defense. Now that word defense in the Greek is apologia, from which comes this whole ministry of apologetics. So Peter is saying, you know, you hold God with reverence in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with meekness and fear. So Peter is saying, always be ready. If anybody asks you why you believe what you believe, why do you have this hope in Jesus Christ, be ready to give a defense. 
The Greek is apologia, from which we have the ministry of apologetics. Now apologetics as we see it today is very different from apologetics as it was in the Bible. The apologetics of today depends so much on human philosophy and human thinking and ability to argue and and look at things from different perspectives. I'm talking about the Christian church. But I do not believe that that is what Peter meant. Why? When Peter said, be ready to give a defense for your faith. I believe he meant something totally different. Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. This is what I believe is Peter's defense. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. It says here, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Peter was the one who wrote 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where he said, Be ready to give a defense for the faith you have. Who was Peter? How many degrees did he have? Zero. He was an uneducated, unschooled fisherman. So when he said, give a defense, it is very likely he was not thinking of great logical arguments and reasonings to defend your faith. For him, the defense of the gospel stood in the demonstration of the power of God with signs, wonders, and miracles. Amen. And that's what you see in Acts 4. When the lame man has been healed, people look at Peter and say, you're unschooled, you're untrained. But your gospel stands because we can say nothing against this fact that this man stands here completely healed. That is New Testament apologia. That is New Testament defense of the gospel. The demonstration of the power of God. That is the defense of the gospel. The demonstration of the power of God. And when you look at the ministry of the apostle Paul, although he reasoned every very event, he also demonstrated the power of God. So his apologia was not just pure arguments. His apologia was reasoning that demonstrated the power of God. Amen? So the point I want to make to us here this morning is, let us not reduce our Christian experience, our walk with God in Christian ministry to the brilliance of the human mind. I value the mind. I value education. I value training. But God is almighty God and He cannot be confined to your mind, to your brain. He is a God who has worked miracles, who still works miracles and will continue to do it as long as there's a need here on earth. Amen. Now let's look at Jesus and the importance Jesus placed on miracles. If you go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, please. How important were miracles to Jesus and his ministry? Were they just a little, you know, side thing that he did to entertain the crowd so that they will still listen to what he had to say? What place did miracles have in the ministry of Jesus? And what, did, what place did Jesus want miracles to have in the lives of those who believed in him, the lives of those who followed him? The Gospel of John answers this for us in many places. In John chapter 5, 
Verses 31 to 36. Jesus said this. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. I mean, like if I blow my own trumpet, that doesn't mean anything. If I bear witness of myself, it's not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness he witnesses of me is true. So there's somebody else who's testifying of me and I know he's true. Whom was he talking about? Verse 33. You have sent to John. That's John the Baptist. And he has borne witness to the truth. So John the Baptist, the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, he was a forerunner and he was pointing to Jesus. And Jesus saying, that man bears witness of me. His witness is indeed true. But what does Jesus go on to say? He says, verse 34, Yet I do not receive testimony from man. But I say these things that you may be saved. Verse 35, He that is John was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Look at verse 36. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know, John the Baptist, I respect him. His witness is indeed true. He is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Not discounting any of that. He is testifying of me. John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus in water in the river Jordan. And the heavens were open that the Holy Spirit descended as a dove on Jesus. And John was the one bearing witness to this whole thing. And there was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John was the one who pointed to Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God. But you know what Jesus is saying? In as much as all that is true, there is a witness that is greater than John's testimony. What is it? Verse 36. The works that I do in my Father's name, the miracles that I'm doing, they bear witness of me. Jesus is saying that the miracles he was doing were more important than the testimony of the greatest Old Testament prophets. So Jesus is saying, the works I do, verse 36, the works I do, they are more important. The miracles I do are more important than the testimony of John. John chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So the Jews are coming to him and saying, you know, Jesus, we just need to know if you are the Messiah or not. Just tell us plainly. Can you tell us, are you the Messiah? How does Jesus respond to them? In verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So what's he saying here? He's saying, you want to know whether I'm the Messiah. I've told you, don't believe my words. But look at my words. Look at the miracles. They bear witness of me. The miracles that I'm doing. They are testimony. They attest to the fact that I am the Messiah. Is what Jesus is saying. If you skip down to verse 37. Jesus said, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. 
Very powerful statements. He says, if I do not do the works, if I don't do these miracles, don't believe in me. But if I do, even if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe the miracles. So, how did Jesus authenticate or validate that he was the Messiah? By his miracles. My question then is, if in his day, Jesus validated to the people then that he was the Messiah by his miracles... Why is the church trying to do it any different today? Why is the church today depending more on reasoning and argument and things that man can generate in order to prove that Jesus is the Messiah instead of depending on the very thing that he depended on, which is the miracles? I do not think that we have any right to lower the standards. If anything... We must be so uncomfortable and so challenged to raise our experience to his standards rather than diluting his standards to the level of our experience. Amen? Another situation in Matthew chapter 11, if you will go there please. But look at verses 2 to 6. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 6. John the Baptist, the very one who pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, is now in prison. And like all of us, when we are in prison, we doubt our faith. Wonder, did I really believe in Jesus? What happened? John gets those doubts. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. And when John had heard in prison, so he was in prison, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now, John, wait a minute. You are the one who told all of us that he is the Messiah. You are the one who told all of us that he is the Lamb of God. You are the one who said, I saw the heavens open and the dove descending. You are the one who did all that. And now in prison, you're sending a messenger to Jesus and asking him, are you the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? Meaning John himself had doubts. So if you have doubts, it's okay. John had those doubts in prison. Especially when he heard that Jesus was helping everybody else but not bothering about him. That's what it says, right? Verse 2. When John was in prison and he heard about the works of Christ. Christ was healing there. He was delivering there. He's helping everybody else but not helping John. John is saying, what? What kind of a man is this? He's helping everybody. He's not helping me. I'm in prison. After all, I was his foreigner. I was the one who introduced him to the world. He's not doing anything for me. So he calls his disciples, hey, just go and check him out. Is he really the Messiah? Or did we make a mistake to begin with? So John's disciples come to Jesus. And Jesus, we are from John the Baptist, the very man who introduced you to the world and all that. But he has some doubts, Jesus. Are you really the Messiah? Or did we make a mistake? What was Jesus' response? Verse 4 to 6. And Jesus said to him, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You know, Jesus could have sent a reply like this. He could have said, go tell John. John, I was the only baby in the whole world who at the time of his birth, angels sang. 
I was the only baby when he was born. A star moved from the east and wise men followed the star and they came all the way and gave me gold, frankincense and myrrh. Jesus could have said, go and tell John, hey John, I was the only guy of all the people that you baptized in River Jordan. I was the only one who had a dove descend on me. And did you hear the voice that came? I was the only one who had that. Now Jesus could have pointed to all these things, but he didn't. What did he point to? The miracles. He said, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. This must be enough evidence to John that I am the Messiah. Enough proof. Blessed is he who has not offended in me. Amen. Very often in life, your closest friends doubt you. And that happened to Jesus. In John chapter 14, this gets a little funny here. Because these guys have been with Jesus for three and a half years. They walked with him. They've traveled with him. They've seen him do all these amazing things. They've heard every message he's been preaching, taken notes, listened to the podcast, watched the video. They've done it all. And after three and a half years of doing all that, here's what we read in John chapter 14, verse 7 onwards. Jesus is telling them, John 14, verse 7 onwards. Jesus says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? So Jesus, you know, he's telling, he's telling them, see guys, if you've seen me, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. Because I only do what the Father does. I only say what the Father says. I mean, the Father and me, we're identical. We just are in line with each other. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. After him telling that, Philip is saying, show us the Father. I just told you. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's not getting in. Philip is still saying, so was the father. Maybe he was saying, maybe the father is slightly better than you. I don't know what was going through his mind. So was the father. Verse 10, Jesus says this, Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? Don't you believe that I have this connection with the father? I'm one with him. The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the father who dwells in me, he does the works. Verse 11, believe me that I am the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So even to Philip, Philip, I mean, I've been with you all this while. You've seen me teach and talk and, and do all these things. And Philip, just believe, just take my word that I'm the Father, Father's in me. We are one. Now, Philip, if you can't believe that, he says in verse 11, Philip, believe me, Else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Meaning, Philip, these miracles, at least they must be enough proof to you that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. Amen? So what's the context? We want to know the Father. We want to know, are you really the Messiah? 
we want to know if you're really a man sent from God, then you can show us the Father. And she's just telling Philip, Philip, the Father and I are one. I'm in him. He's in me. Believe me. Or else, look at these miracles. They are evidence that I am the one sent from God. I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And right after that, the next verse, verse 12, Jesus makes the statement, He who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. Now I want us to understand several things here. First thing I want us to understand is this, that right there, in the context of what's happening, Jesus is giving us a mandate that the way we will authenticate him to the world is through the miracles. Because when his own disciples came and said, you know, show us the Father. If you're from the Father, Jesus said, the works I do, they're evidence that I'm from the Father. And then he said, you know what? All those who believe in me, they will do the very works that I do. For what purpose? What is the context? To demonstrate to the world that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen? So all those people who say, you know, miracles are only for the New Testament times. Look, right here, Jesus gave a mandate to the church. That those who believe in him will make him known to the world through the works. Through the miracles. Are you with me? Right here. He's given a mandate to the church. Those who believe in me, they will do the works I do. What was the context? The context was, are you the one sent from God? Are you really the one sent from God? Yeah. Jesus said, you can know that I'm the one sent from God because of the works. Those who believe in me, they will do the same works. And thus demonstrate to the world that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. So the way the church is going to make known to the world, the way you, when I say church, I mean you and me. We are going to make known to the world that Jesus Christ is truly the one sent from God. He is the Savior of the world. He is everything He said He is in the New Testament. The way we are going to make the world know is through the miracles. Amen? And He said, He who believes in Me, the miracles I do, they will also do, and greater miracles, because I go to the Father. What happened from that point in time to the time Jesus went to the Father? Three major things happened. One, on the cross, Jesus defeated the devil. Number two, in his resurrection, he conquered hell, death, and the grave. Number three, in his ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit for every believer. So today, you and I are proclaiming a Christ who has conquered Satan. We are proclaiming a Christ who has conquered hell, death, and the grave. And we are proclaiming a Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who has sent the Holy Spirit. Who brings Jesus to us. Amen. The third thing I want us to see in this passage is. In John 14, 11, Jesus said. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. And the Father who is in me. He does the works. In John 14, 12, he said. Those who believe in me. They'll do the works. Skip a few verses. And in verse 20, Jesus said. In that day. You will know that I am in the Father, that you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus said, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. The Father who is in me, he does the works. 
John 14, 20, talking about the believer, he said, I am in you, you are in me. So what does the believer say? Christ who is in me, he does the works. Jesus said, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. The Father is in me, he does the works. The believer says, I am in Jesus and Jesus is in me. And Jesus who is in me, he does the works. Amen? That's why every believer can do the works that Jesus did and greater works. Because he went to the Father. Amen? Christ who is in you, he does the works. Jesus said, the Father who is in me, he does the works. The believer says, Christ who is in me, he does the works. Jesus said, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. The believer says, according to John 14, 20, I am in Jesus and Jesus is in me. Amen? So Christ who is in me, he does the works. I want to close with this passage from Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Mark 16, 17 and 18. Jesus said this, he said, And these signs will follow those who believe. These miracles, these signs will follow those who believe. Believers, you and me. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. These signs will follow whom? The believers. These signs will follow whom? The believer. It means me. Hello, believers. I think we need to restore the standard for believers. What if the church said, if you do not cast out devils, you're not a true believer. I mean, would I be valid if I made this statement that unless you do miracles and signs, you're not, I really don't know if you're a believer. Would I be valid? I think there is some validity if I make that statement. Why? Because he said, Jesus said, he who believes in me will do the works I did. Jesus said, I didn't make it up. He said it. So if I said, the only way I know you're a true believer is if you do the works Jesus did. It will be a valid statement. It won't be heresy. It's valid. But Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I have love. That is true. That's only one statement he made. He also said, those who believe in him will do the works he so have love and do the works. Amen? These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, he said these signs will follow those who believe. Which means when you go to school, when you go into your classroom, when you go into your college, when you go into the office, when you go into wherever you go to work, when you go into your home, when you go into your neighborhood, when you go to the football field, when you go to the basketball court, miracles are there. Amen? I mean, like, we think miracles are only there in Sunday morning church service. When we have this perfect band singing hallelujah. I mean, yes, it's nice to have that atmosphere for miracles. But most of the miracles Jesus did, there was no choir singing hallelujah. There's out on the dusty streets and people's homes and um, all kinds of places. Amen? Wherever the believer goes, miracles follow. 
I want to challenge you and me. We are here in our city to reach our city for Jesus Christ. I hope this morning you are convinced that the primary way that you and I are going to convince the world about Jesus is not through our reasoning, but it is through the miracles. Amen? If that's the way Jesus did it, I am sure He will want to have it done the same way today. So out there on the seven mountains, out there in arts and entertainment, two Tuesdays ago, we were encountering Jesus with Ram Babu and they had Johnny Lever from Bollywood. And he was giving his testimonies. How right there, when they're going to do the shooting, he'll be reading his Bible. The camera's on, he's doing all the makeup, he's reading his Bible. And he talks about testimonies right there. When he's shooting for movies, miracles happening. He gives one funny incident where he and another guy are getting ready for a shoot. And that guy comes to him just before the shoot can start and says, you know, hey, I've got this problem. So Johnny's Lever says, okay, I'll pray for you. And he prays and he goes flat on the ground. And uh, a few minutes later, he's still on the ground. The crew comes to him and says, sir, we are ready to shoot. He says, yeah, I'm ready as long as he's ready. And the guy's flat out on the floor <laughs> under the power of God. In Bollywood. Thank God for people like this. And he's like, no compromise as far as the name of Jesus is concerned. Nothing. Straight on the face. We need more people like that. We need you and me to become like that. Amen. Say, but I work at Infosys. You don't know. We have all these rules. We're not supposed to bring religion in. I sneak Jesus in in my back pocket every morning. Listen. There you go. Miracles follow. Christ is in you. And he was in you. Does the miracles. Amen. So when you're in the office. It doesn't matter which corporation you work in. It doesn't matter where you work. You're in the office. A person comes to you with a knee. It's an opportunity. To work signs that will cause him to wonder about Jesus. Just tell him. I'll pray for you. So you got to take risks. If you want to see miracles. Amen. You got to step out. If you want to step in. You got to step out of what is comfortable. If you want to step in to the supernatural. Amen. So you got to take a risk. Say, but what will I do if nothing happens? What do you do? Pray for him. But you got to look at it like this. What if something does happen? Amen? Why didn't you say, because Jesus said, lay hands on the sick. I'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Now remember, in my 11th standard, and, and there's several stories like this, but in my 11th standard, this is in Bishop Cotton's right here. One of my classmates, I saw him coming to school for a few days with this big bandage on his knee. I asked him what happened. There was a water collection in his knee. And so it was really painful for him. He had this bandage wrapped up. And he said, you know, he had to go and get some treatment to get it all out. And it was really painful for him. So I said, okay, I'll pray for him. So I was watching him at the end of the day. Wait till the class gets over. Right? So when the bell rang, 3.30, I went up to him. His name was Anil. I said, Anil, hey, I'll pray for you, man. Free prayer. Nobody minds. Free prayer. It's okay. So, this is in classroom. No choir singing. No microphone. No pulpit. Nothing. In classroom. Right? Just laid my hands on him. I said, 
to say the simple prayer in the name of Jesus. I command this need to be healed. I command this whatever that's collection to disappear. I command him to be well. So, okay, go home. He walked home. I mean, nothing immediately happens. But next day, he comes back to class without the bandage. Channel, what happened? Completely healed. God healed him. It was a sign that made him wonder about Jesus. Where? In classroom. Amen? That's just 11 standards. All I had to do was to take a little risk. Put my reputation. I didn't have much of a reputation, so I didn't have nothing to lose. But, you know. But that's a big issue with many of us. I mean, I have a reputation. I'm the team leader. I'm the manager. I'm this, that. How can I say I pray? How can I tell them I believe in God? I mean, get rid of your reputation. Jesus made himself of no reputation to come and die for you on the cross. What big reputation do you have to hold on to? Amen? Get rid of it. Take a step. Somebody comes to you and says, you know, I have a situation. It may not be always healing. It could be something else. And they share the problem with you. Say, hey, I'll pray for you in Jesus' name. Now, all of us are very religious. We have this big issue. Do they have to be believers for miracles to happen? Answer is very simple. Before the cross, how many believers were there? Zero. Nobody was saved. So every person Jesus healed, every person Jesus delivered, every person Jesus worked a miracle was not saved. But he still, he still ministered to them. Amen? So don't get so hung up on this that, you know, he doesn't come to church, he doesn't know this, he doesn't know that. Listen, every person Jesus ministered to was not saved. Because before the cross, nobody could be saved. But still he cast out devils. He... So what? If the person that you're praying for is not saved, so what if he is anti-Christian? So what? All the more pray. All the more say, God, work a miracle. Amen? Each one of us, each one of us, go into the world. Show the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. Through the works that we let Christ do through us. Amen? Take some risks. Pray for people. Expect miracles. See what happens. Amen? That the Jesus who is in you will do mighty things through you. Take some risks. Step out so that you can step in. Believe God to release miracles through you. Expect miracles. I just want to pray and I want you to pray right now. Just to respond to what you heard, what we learned this morning of the importance of miracles and say, God, when I go out from here, when I, this week, God, give me opportunities to pray with people. Give me opportunities to show that Jesus is Lord. Just pray and ask the Lord. This week, God, when I go through this week, whether in my school, my college, my workplace, my neighborhood, out on the streets, wherever. Give me opportunities to pray for miracles. Because these signs follow those who believe in my name, Jesus said. They'll cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. 
God works miracles through you, through ordinary people. Miracles point people to Jesus. They point people to the true and living God. So would you just pray and say, Lord, this, this, this week, give me opportunities to pray for people. Give me opportunities just to reach out to somebody. Pray with somebody. Whether it's for healing, whether it's for deliverance from demonic works, whether it's for a miracle in their life situations, whatever it might be, God, give me opportunities. Father, we as a people stand before you. We want to be a people who believe the word of God, who believe every word that Jesus spoke about us. We want to be a people who in our day, in our time, in our generation, in our city, in our nation, and in the nations of this world, boldly demonstrate to to the world that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The miracles, through signs, through wonders of God. want to see that happen and father I ask in Jesus name that this week you would give each one of us an opportunity just to reach out and release the miracles of Jesus Lord whether it be healing whether it be some other miracle may each one of us have opportunities Lord to pray So that the Christ who is in us will do mighty works through us. We give you thanks and we give you praise, Father. We just thank you and we bless you. Father, we just thank you for this morning. I pray you'll use everyone here to touch the city, reach the city with the power of the name of Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.